Hello everyone and welcome. This is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I'm pleased to welcome you back for a new episode of the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. I think this is one of the most important book discussions that we'll have this year. For our guests today are Sandra Neal Wallace and Rich Wallace, the truly interesting and committed authors behind First Generation, 36 trailblazing immigrants and refugees who make America great. This book recently received a starred review from Kirkus Reviews, who called it deeply patriotic, and it is. Whether you have just arrived in this country, or like me, your ancestors have been here for a few centuries. Welcome to the podcast, Sandra and Rich. We are really excited to be speaking about First Generation with you. I love this book. I really love this book. In fact, I love nonfiction, and that is an understatement. I love nonfiction. Love it. I know that stories come out of all sorts of different places, and we're not used to thinking of nonfiction as stories. It really does have its own special allure. So you guys have have written so many different and intriguing projects in the nonfiction space. How do you choose your topics and how do you shape that material into a narrative that explores meaning and theme? Well, first of all, we love nonfiction too. And we both came to this a from journalism backgrounds, but then from fiction writing backgrounds, you know, we've, we've both written quite a few pieces of fiction, but there are certain topics that have always appealed to me social justice being one of them, adventure being another. And usually, you know, I'll look for a subject. It's something that I've known about for a long time or maybe something that I discovered, you know, in the moment and immediately knew that I want to know more about it. For me, the choice to write about someone happens when I first read about them. And immediately there's this heart connection. Something in my core moves and I start thinking about their lives all the time, Victoria. It drives mm. Rich crazy. I mean, I wake up wanting to know more about them, and that's an indication that I need to be writing about them. And it's it's always a person who breaks barriers in life and changes the world in some way, but for whatever reason, their story has been lost to history. And I know that if I don't write about them, if Rich and I don't write about them, chances are no one else will, and we really don't want those stories to remain buried. You know, it's funny, our writing habits are not particularly the same. I mean, we, we, we've been doing a lot of projects together lately, but as Sandra said, she gets up early in the morning and jumps right into it. And I like to, you know, go for a long walk or a run in the morning first and get my thoughts together. But, um, you know, we're writing together, but we're not usually working together. We're in separate offices, you know, 10 feet apart from each other. But, um, you know, we, we come together and meet all the time and talk about, you know, where we are in our research. But the actual writing is usually, you know, a lonely task as it is with any any type of writing. And the people that we focus on is really personal for me. I'll be honest, Victoria, these subjects give me the opportunity to explore themes of fear, self-belief, and accomplishment. So I'm always asking these questions, what are they afraid of? And usually it's what they're up against, or how do they remain strong, and how do they believe in themselves in the face of danger? And sometimes with the people that we're writing about, even the threat of death and how do they create change under those circumstances, really under duress? I'm fascinated by that. And with every person that we write about, uh, I tend to learn more about humanity and how to navigate my own life. So I really get inspired. So in a way, it's self-serving, too. 
Yeah, I mean, you asked about where some of these ideas are coming from. For first generation, I mean, it obviously grew directly out of the political climate that we've been living under for the past few years, where people from virtually every culture are being ignorantly vilified from the highest level of our government. So we wanted to choose a wide selection of people from many different nations, from many cultures, from many races, from many faiths, who've been contributing to this country, you know, for throughout our history, but especially uh, in the present moment. I love the connection that you guys have of life to your work. And I know that you do a lot of work in New Hampshire where you live with immigrant communities and working in social justice. I want to speak a little bit about that, but I want first to go back to a point about your fiction writing. Have you noticed a connection between your fiction writing, the topics or the themes you choose to explore in fiction, and what you explore in your nonfiction? Um, definitely. I mean, I, I my, my earliest novels were, you know, teenage angst novels, but more and more my writing, even in a fiction realm, it has really drawn on justice in certain ways. Sanders' books have all done that. And, you know, being novelists, I think, has helped us in seeing a story arc, even in real stuff, you know, that's what we look for. We look for a voice, we look for a character, and we look for the story in real life. Instead of making it up out of our heads as we do in fiction, it's all right there if you do the right research and, and examine it. Yeah, you know, I was a news reporter and a, and a sports announcer for close to 18 years, and I think I needed, I felt that I needed a break from that and delved into fiction, even though it was realistic fiction. I, I did a couple of novels that I feel really passionate about, and one was historical fiction that took five years of research. Uh, and then we had some editors ask us, do you want to go back to investigative journalism? Do you want to write nonfiction? And, and I was ready. I didn't know if I could again or wanted to. And then the stories just kept pouring out. I mean, we I, we have boxes and files of, if we lived 300 years, we still wouldn't be able to complete these stories. And I feel so fulfilled telling these stories. And, and we feel like we have um, really an obligation to tell these stories that have been lost to history. And we, we, we take that role really seriously. You asked about, you know, some of the, some of the, um, you know, political or social things we're doing in our lives now, a book we did a few years ago, A Blood Brother, which was a, a profile of a, a civil rights martyr who, you know, died during the voting rights, was murdered during the voting, voting rights uh, movement down in Selma in 1965. And examining his life, learning so much about him really inspired us to take it into a place where we weren't just, you know, tweeting things or holding up protest signs, but actually doing things on a daily basis that help people. And that's when it really turned personal for me because I wasn't an American citizen yet. And here I was researching and writing about people who were willing to die, who did die for all of us to have the right to vote. And that's when I started going through my pathway to citizenship, looking at the test and really wanting to become an American citizen. And it took me uh, almost three years and um, I feel so strongly about being an American citizen and, and really feel patriotic. And like Rich said, we wanted to go even one step further. So in our town of Keene, New Hampshire, uh, we helped organize um, a, a group called CURP, Keene Immigrant Refugee Partnership. And Rich and I uh, focus on immigrant outreach. We have um, newcomers from 28 different countries in our region, and we focus on really great things like 
cross-cultural social events at the library or at some of our favorite restaurants, which are amazing. We provide um, free Know Your Rights Days um, where an immigration attorney comes in and whatever pathway you are on towards citizenship, you can get some complimentary advice. Uh, And what I love the most is we support um, transportation. We drive newcomers to their English language classes in the morning and sometimes at night. And as a matter of fact, we're so devoted to that. And we've become such friends with so many newcomers that we only schedule conferences for our books um, around the dates for uh, the driving times. Well, it's usually pretty easy to do that. Conferences we go to tend to be on weekends and the, the driving is during the week. So Our, our days <laughs> start very early in the morning and I, I've just never felt more fulfilled as a human being than I do right now. You have so much passion, which I adore, and so much energy, which to be honest, as a, a somewhat indolent person, frightens me ever so slightly, uh, while I admire it quite a bit. And you've put so much work in this. I can see how this passion and energy and the drive and the research that you do would fill book after book, shelf after shelf in the library. Yet, unlike a number of your other books, First Generation is a survey book just with very quick bits of information on these really interesting people. They're diverse and fascinating, but it is really constrained by space. What were some of the special challenges or did you even think about this as opportunities for working in such a limited space? Did you take any cues from social media communications that young people use so often? Did you need to find a way to to really think about communication in a new way? I guess I mean to ask. What we focused on is what we actually start with when we're crafting a longer form of nonfiction. And that's that's a mission statement. And you're right, because you have to get at the core of who a person is much quicker. uh, It's challenging because there's so much that you want to say, especially if you love nonfiction like we do. But in this format, it's all about selection. And it came down to the question that we always said that we had to ask with with every subject. If you're in a cafeteria sitting next to an 11-year-old, what is it about the person you're writing about that you know that 11-year-old will never forget? And I actually loved working this way. Um, I started to see you're talking about social media. I started to see the life of each subject as two moments in time or taking two photographs like we do on Instagram um, that really define their lives. And I'll give you an example. Take uh, Marcus Samuelson, the Ethiopian Swedish American chef. Um, The childhood snapshot that we chose was him being cut from the soccer team and then cooking with his grandmother Helga by default. And then he falls in love with food. And then the next snapshot was how he came to America because he wasn't getting the opportunities as a black chef working in Europe. And then say, take Sophia Grossman, picking flowers as a child in Belarus to find beauty after World War II. And then flash forward to her being in New York City and creating fragrances in a perfume lab. Yeah, so you know, you're right. We're used to working with you know, 200 or 300 pages for a book. So capturing a person in 400 words as each of these profiles uh, is, is, you know, a different kind of challenge. So as Sandra was saying, we look for anecdotes that are kind of emblematic of who they were or who they would become. You know, I think, again, another couple of great examples from the book. I think of Adriana Campo, who is a NASA scientist. He's brilliant. 
She's led the missions, you know, the 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 explorations to Jupiter and um, the asteroids and Venus, not by getting on a rocket ship, but by, you know, doing all the legwork on the ground. And, you know, when she was a kid growing up in South America, she would climb onto the roof of her parents' house and she would look up at the stars. And now she's doing that sort of thing uh, for a living. Um, let's see, I.M. Pei is another one, the great architect. You know, he, he speaks so so sweetly about when he was a little boy, this is almost a century ago, going to shrines and gardens and temples with his mother and how that inspired him, you know, to see the beauty in that kind of structure. And he, he's always had that in the back of his mind when he's, you know, designing these great buildings like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or the, the Pyramid at the Louvre. I think something that comes out of the examples you've mentioned is the enrichment of our country by these immigrants not suppressing or assimilating, but really bringing with them their own culture, their own traditions, their own families into this new country. Yes, this is in the title about making America great, but it's not a point that you are obvious about in your profiles. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the cultural enrichment of our country through the immigration process and welcoming these people into our homes and into our country? What I found so fascinating, and um, you know, we flash forward, most of the people that we feature are contemporary, but how despite they may feel unwelcome when they are in this country, how generous they are to want to share their cultures and contribute to their new country. And that was a, a, a resounding theme with everyone that we focused on, every person, um, just this generosity of, of this is who I am and I wanna share my background with you and I wanna strengthen my new country by also learning new things and um, amplifying America with all these beautiful um, cultures from music to art um, to language. There is a bravery in welcome that I think is an underappreciated quality. And I love the idea of these immigrants welcoming America uh, and saying, here we are, please enjoy what we have, but also in calling Americans to bravery and welcoming immigrants into their communities. Yeah, I, I think that that's very much true. Um, you know, you see that over and over in these profiles, people saying that how proud they are to be an American, how much that means to their life, not just their career, but who they are as people. And, you know, also, you know, drawing on, you know, all the great things that they're bringing from their culture, that they're bringing from their homeland, too, and, and wanting to share that. Victoria, what I loved is Kirkus Reviews. Um, picked up on uh, the patriotism mm -hmm. uh, of this book. You had mentioned that in, in the beginning of the interview, calling it a deeply patriotic look at how immigrants' application of the American ideals of hard work and perseverance can have lasting effects. And I, I think close to home of when I became a U.S. citizen on December 16th, 2016 at 9.02 a.m., and believe me, you never forget that moment. You know exactly what you're wearing, what you felt like. And at that swearing-in ceremony, the 80 people from 26 different countries who became my fellow Americans, we all wore red, white, and blue. You know, there were American flag earrings. There were red, white, and blue painted fingernails. There were shirts and ties. And when we took the oath with the image of Lady Liberty, 
the Statue of Liberty on the screen in front of us, the tears just streamed down our faces because we really felt that loyalty to our new country in our hearts. And we take freedom so seriously. And um, we take that oath and that citizenship so seriously that we want to we want to make our communities better and we want to make our new country a better place. Yeah, that was the first time I'd been to a naturalization ceremony. It, it was very, very moving. I think there were close to 100 people from something like 27 different nations being being sworn in as citizens that day. And Sandra became friendly with some people, you know, right on the spot from some Asian countries and Mexico, I forget specifically, but they said to her, you know, Sandra's Canadian, she's blonde haired. She, they said to her, you know, you look like an American. And Sandra's response was, so do you, you look like an American too. I love that. Oh my goodness. So before I ask you a very important question about reader response, I'm going to throw you a curveball. The book contains 36 trailblazing immigrants and refugees. Who was number 37? <laughs> wow, I don't I don't know that there was a 37. I can tell you there were at least a hundred others that um, you know that we considered that are on our list uh, maybe for a sequel. All right, um, I'll rephrase. <laughs> there were some tough choices there. I'll rephrase. Who is your ideal 37 if we decided to change it to 37 trailblazing immigrants? Wow, that is a curveball that I, I'm going to have to think about. Um, you know, the way that, the way we thought about this book was not just like who are the top 36, you know, people that we love. We really, again, wanted to make sure we had a real cross section of, of of races and nations and mm-hmm. professions and and a gender balance as well. So, um, if there was going to be a 37th. It would it would fit and yet be different in in some significant ways from the thirty six uh, that are in there now. Yeah, I wish I had a name that's popping up in my head, but I know I can get the name. It was a, an Indian um, woman um, astronaut who perished in one of these space um, endeavors. Who was just uh, amazing. Um, mm. This is not helping you. So we no, and I'm sorry I threw you the curveball, but it just occurred to me in there that like there are so many people that you could have chosen. Again, there's not one ideal. There's just like that one story that you were like, oh, can't we make it 37? That's all that, right. That that is a great question. That I think that's all right. We'll um, proceed on to our third question, and that's totally fine. Going back, Sandra and Rich, to your activism, I am thinking a lot about this, and it's a question I ask my novelist interviewees a lot. I know that you haven't had a lot of time to get feedback from first generation from readers, but. How has reader responses to your previous books, particularly for the young readers, um, shaped how you worked on this new book? Well, you know, we know from reactions to fiction and nonfiction that we've written and going into schools, talking to kids, they, they react really well. They love stories of triumph. And every every one of these 36 is, is a, a story of triumph. So, you know, so that's something we always have in mind. But we have had a fair amount of reaction, believe it or not, from teachers and librarians, you know, when we're going to educator conferences and things like that. And they just can't wait for first generation to come out because, you know, they tell us that so many kids are feeling unwelcome in their classrooms and this book will help them see themselves in the struggles of others. Yeah. What I've also heard from um, educators 
already commenting on is, is the fact that we have embraced immigrants and refugees as role models and having discussions around who's being heard. And then for young readers, we're so excited for them to know about the personalities and the contributions of the immigrants and refugees in this book, because when you discover the many human traits you have in common, you're going to build empathy. That's another theme that educators are excited about. And one of my favorite quotes this month is from the Brain Lair bookstore owner, Kathy Burnett. She opened her South Bend, Indiana store featuring inclusive books to build empathy and understanding. And she says, it's hard for people to have empathy for others if they don't know anything about them. And I would add, it's hard to have empathy for newcomers if you're being told hurtful lies about them. And what we really wanted to enforce in First Generation is to tell the truth about who immigrants and refugees really are. We have hopes and dreams and fears. We work hard to elevate and give back to this country. And we're fiercely patriotic about America. I love that you brought up Kathy Burnett, who I know personally in real life, and she is awesome. She is made of wonderfulness. I was I was tweeting back and forth with her just this morning. I had not met her before, but I can't wait to meet her in person. You will love her. And everyone, if you are anywhere near the brain layer, you need to go there. You need to support Kathy in the work that she's doing because she is made of awesome sauce, as the youth say. <laughs> That's so great to hear. Now, Rich and Sandra, I so love what you have done here. Um, my family is not new to this continent. No part of my family background arrived on this continent after 1850. We have a long and fraught history with many parts of this country. And I admit that I have had a bit of a jaded idea of America and its people and what we do over time. But this book has renewed in me a love for the idea of America. Oh, it's, it's just been an honor and a privilege to write this book. And I kept thinking about my mother and my grandmother and, you know, everyday people who are newcomers to this country who have elevated their communities and made this country what it is. And I think kids deserve to know about these contributions. You know, it's funny you were talking about your background. Up until very recently, my side of the family, Sandra, Sandra's obviously new to the, very new to this country, my side of the country was pretty similar. You know, people came over in the late 1800s, and then that's who we were until the very next generation, which, you know, now we have nieces and nephews, grandnieces and grandnephews who are, you know, Jamaican, Hispanic, Asian, from South Central America. So, I mean, if you look at my side of the family and who we were just... 10 years ago, and who we are now in a group picture of the photo, very, very different. Now it looks like more like what America is today. Sandra and Rich, I think that is really the perfect note to end on. Books really are people, and they can extend the hand of welcome. And I'm so excited that you've joined us for the podcast to communicate your love for nonfiction, your love of the communities that you work with and serve in, up there in Keene, New Hampshire. Shout out, Gail Zachariah at the Public Library there. Gail is our best friend. Gail is awesome. <laughs> Gentle listeners out there in the world, we do hope that you will let books open borders and allow first-generation space on your shelves right now. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Music